You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Welcome to the Fair Game Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Robert Smith. Today's guest has 22 years of experience in the fair industry. In 2019, he became the CEO of the York State Fair. He joins us today from York, Pennsylvania. Brian Blair, welcome to the show. Thanks, Robert. It's good to be with you. So I'm glad I could get you on the show today uh, and happy that we've decided to continue the podcast. I think there's a lot of stories around the industry. And so long as the pandemic is rolling, I think those stories need to be told. So I'm looking forward to hearing your 2020 story. But first, if you could give us a little background on you, how did you get involved in fairs and how did you end up coming to be with the York Fair? Well, ever since I was a little kid and my parents took me to the fair the first time, I think I was five years old, uh, it it just was a magical place. And uh, every year we would go, as soon as I got old enough to drive, I was at my county fair every night and going to the neighboring county fairs. Uh, Lived down in Kentucky my whole life, grew up there, went to high school there, went to college there. Um, So the Kentucky State Fair, visiting that was was always a highlight. And quite honestly, being a part of the staff at the Kentucky State Fair was always a dream job for me growing up. Uh, In 1998, I uh, started a county fair in Taylor County, Kentucky, Campbellsville uh, was the city. They hadn't had a fair in uh, 20 years. So uh, organized a community group. We started that fair back up from the ground up and uh, was president for several years. Um, and uh, that, that just really cemented the fact that I wanted to be in this industry. Uh, in 2009, I had the opportunity to join the staff at the Kentucky State Fair full-time. So that was my entry into the industry full-time. I was on the sponsorship and event marketing staff there at the Kentucky Expo Center uh, in Louisville. Uh, did sponsorships for the Kentucky State Fair, the National Farm Machinery Show, and the uh, North American International Livestock Exposition. I was there for six years and uh, was fortunate enough to uh, snag the position as general manager at the Elkhart County 4-H Fair in Goshen, Indiana, uh, and spent four years there. Absolutely loved that community and and that fair and that fair board. Uh, That's always going to seem like home to me after four years. But the opportunity arose in uh, 2018 to come to York, which uh, bills itself as America's first fair, uh, founded in 1765 and uh, has traditionally been ranked as a top 50 fair. So, you know, when you're in this profession, one of the things it's kind of like I compared it when when I left Elkhart to to the board there as hard as that was uh, to being a a college basketball coach and maybe being at uh, a a northern Illinois and all of a sudden having a chance to coach at Kentucky or North Carolina or Duke or one of those places. So, you know, it was one of those opportunities that that I felt like maybe wouldn't ever come along again in my life. And so I, I snagged the opportunity and here we are at York and, and whoever thought we'd be in the middle of a pandemic facing some of the challenges that we're facing today. Yeah, no kidding. Um, take a second and tell us a little bit about the York Fair. When do you typically run? What's your attendance? Well, we typically, always before the York Fair has been in September or October. Uh, in 2020, we were moving to July for the first time ever. Uh, there was a, a study completed here a couple of years back that uh, suggested the fair could be more successful in the summertime, uh, getting it away from school being in session in September, getting it away from Penn State football and high school football on Friday nights and, and those sorts of things. Uh, so the board made the decision right after I got here to move the fair to July. So last year we were scheduled for July 24th through August 2nd. Uh, this coming year, we're scheduled for July 24th through August or 23rd through August 1st. 
we have an attendance uh, in the neighborhood of 550,000 people and uh, about an 89 acre fairground with uh, 20, 22 buildings, uh, 50 rides on the Midway, um, a huge uh, grandstand stage and nationally known concerts and uh, livestock and, and all of the uh, agricultural things that go along with being a fair. Now, does your fairgrounds, do you only do the fair or are you a year-round events facility? No, we're a year-round event facility. In fact, in fact, the year-round portion of our business is really what sustains us. It, it you know, it's kind of like at Elkhart and, and other places and people I've talked to, uh, what we do during the year provides us with some capital to operate the fair. And then the fair in turn provides us with some capital the second half of the year to continue our operation. So it all really kind of goes hand in hand, but uh, we are uh, about $6 million a year in revenue uh, in, a, in a given year. Uh, obviously 2020 is way below that, but uh, so, so we stay busy year round. So what do you know now as a fair manager that you wish you would have known when you first got started? Oh gosh, uh, a lot of things, um, man. I, I so many things. Uh, uh, contracts, uh, some of the behind-the-scenes things that that you know I'd always wondered about, but but maybe when you're on the outside looking in, you don't really get to see the inner workings. I think that's always been the part to me that's been the most fascinating is is how it all comes together and. You know, when you're in the business, you see the small little details every single day and they and they add up and they add up and they add up and then suddenly it's here. Uh, I think that that may be the one thing that, um, you know, like a lot of people not in the business, you think the fair just magically happens. You know, the fair starts July 23rd. It's just here. You know, it doesn't take anything that just shows up and it's here. Not like that at all. I mean, I think that's been maybe the biggest thing that I've learned in 22 years. Yeah, it does. There are a lot of moving pieces. I remember when I first started to get into the industry full time, it was about the same time you did in 2009. It was my first IFE convention. And I remember thinking, I just need to get booked and do my show. And then the longer I've been in, the more I realized just how elaborate every piece is. There is a lot of moving pieces in this industry. And maybe the coolest thing about the industry are the people. You know, it, it sounds so cliche to, sh- to say it, but, you know, it is a family. I mean, we're a family here at York. The team that I have in place and my board, uh, the same was at Elkhart, the same was in Louisville uh, and across the nation. When you go to the IFE, I mean, it's like you're reconnecting with family members, kind of like going to a holiday, right? Once a year uh, that you get to see people and, and rekindle those uh, friendships and professional relationships. And I think that's been one of the most impactful things for me are just the people that, that I get to see and talk to and, and share the same interests with. Sure. So we're now um, about 300 days into 15 days to flatten the curve. Right. Take us back to the middle of March, 2020, when all hell starts to break loose and the dominoes start to fall. Houston livestock show cancels. Right. Um, what's going through your mind at that point as you start to see these events fall down? Well, you know, when it, when it first all started and they started talking about COVID in, in January or whenever it was in Seattle to start the year, you know, and then you start seeing things kind of grow and expand. My first thought was, okay, this isn't going to be a big deal. They're overblowing this. It's all going to be over by fair time. We'll be okay. Um, 
and then things just mushroomed. Uh, we had the Special Olympics, the Winter Special Olympics for Pennsylvania booked in our arena, which is about a 70,000 square foot free span uh, building. Uh, they called us on Friday before they were supposed to open on Saturday. Uh, they were already here. We were already set up. Uh, our maintenance crew had everything ready to go, and they canceled the event on Friday afternoon before starting Saturday morning. Then um, totally understand because they have people coming from across the state, uh, uh, participants with compromised immune systems, and, and all kinds of things going on with that organization. So it made a, a little bit of sense. Well, a lot of sense actually, looking back. Uh, but but understood that. The next week we had the Celtic Classic Dog Show, which is one of the biggest dog shows in the Mid-Atlantic, about 8,000 dogs uh, in and out of our facility during the week. So it takes every building um, and uh, just a huge show for us. Um, during that show is when the Pennsylvania governor decided that we were going to have the state shut down for the first, I think it was two week period. Mm. So we went ahead and let them finish their show. They were already here. They had all their people here, the dogs, had already moved in and out and around. And so we went ahead and let them finish their show and uh, events began canceling for, you know, March and April at that point. Um, the next week, uh, which was probably the worst week for most facilities across the country in terms of this really starting to hit everybody, uh, we actually had probably the best day of any facility like us in the nation because uh, one of the hospitals here in the community that is owned by a regional healthcare group approached us about renting our arena to do drive-through COVID testing. Uh, at that point, if you'll think back, there were places in, I think, maybe uh, uh, California and, and some of those states where you were seeing those long lines of cars and thousands of people waiting to get tested. And that's what they thought would happen here. So they rented our building for 90 days. Uh, we did not rent it to them at full price, but we, we rented it to them at half price for 90 days. And, and on the same day we signed that contract with the healthcare company, uh, we also signed a three-year sponsorship deal with a large supermarket chain, Weiss Markets, here in Pennsylvania, to be the sponsor of that building. Uh, so they took the naming rights. So on the very day that people were absolutely losing everything at their facilities in terms of bookings and revenue, uh, we, I think, probably had the best day in the nation. The, the irony of that is that... Um, what that did for us is it provided us some operating capital that uh, didn't really cause the initial problems with the pandemic to affect us. Uh, in other words, um, immediately here, restaurants were shut down, salons were shut down, coffee shops, florists, barber shops, everything was closed. And those businesses really took a, a punch we didn't really start feeling that pinch until the end of May, 1st of June, because of what happened for us. Uh, but at the same time, when we did start seeing the, the shutdown, um, we went into a mode where we knew we couldn't keep our full staff. Uh, we had 25 people on staff, and that's typically the number we, we go with, and that's a mix of full and part-time. So the first week, we laid all of the part-timers off. Uh, and I had two full-time people who voluntarily took layoffs because they were concerned about their health and, and their immune systems. And so um, we continued to operate all the way up until May uh, with just that crew, the full-time crew. And then when our board made the decision to cancel the fair in late May, uh, we laid six additional full-time people off. So we spent the majority of the year with seven of us on staff here. Uh, 
most of the year we've worked four days. We've taken pay cuts as well in, in response to that, try to try to save money and that sort of thing. But um, that's kind of what happened with us in terms of um, uh, getting, getting really pinched. Uh, we do have a considerable amount of debt uh, at this facility still on the arena. And we tried to get our bank to work with us in terms of deferring and letting us have three or six months where we could either pay interest or just defer the payment and then pick it back up. Uh, our bank wouldn't do anything like that. So we continued to have to make that payment every month, uh, even with no income coming in. Wow. That's really rough. You know, you hear these stories across the country about some banks will work with people and, and some banks won't. And it's really, it's a shame because in the middle of all this, you know, we've mentioned it on the podcast before people say, well, we're all in the same boat, but we're not, we're all in the same storm, but we're all in very different boats. And I feel like, you know, a little more empathy and patience from the banks. I mean, what's their option if you don't pay? Right. Right. I mean, we put a padlock on it and take the key to them and say, here you go. If, if we can't make it work, good luck, because, right. you know, we've been doing a fair here for 257 years. So sure. And what are uh, they going to do? Turn around and, right. and, and say, well, we're going to sell it. Nobody's got the money to buy that arena right now. Correct. Correct. <laughs> at, at, and they would have to sell it at a loss. Uh, there's right. no doubt. about it. So, um, you know, we were fortunate. They, we, we were able to get some PPP funding uh, during that first round uh, and, and that helped. And then um, I think what, hooked you and I up and got me on your podcast today is there was a, a Facebook post about maybe the fairs act or one of those things that would, they were trying to get, you know, Congress to act on. And, um, you know, when this all started back in April or so, I, I took a day and I wrote every representative from my area in the Pennsylvania state legislature. I wrote our ag secretary. I wrote our governor. I wrote every representative from my area in the House of Representatives in DC. I wrote our two state senators. I wrote the president. I mean, I, I took a day and wrote everybody. I wrote my county commissioners. And I said, look, without some help, this facility is not going to be here whenever this ends. And, yep. and when you're ready to have events or conventions or a fair or a concert or a, a car show or whatever it is, without some help, we're not going to be here. And, and I had I got a letter back from uh, our ag secretary, uh, pretty much a form letter that he signed. Uh, and I had one of my representatives call, local representatives call and said, we're gonna help you out. We'll find you a life preserver. Uh, never heard anything else. I uh, heard nothing from anybody federally, nothing from anybody else state. But fortunately our county commissioners understand the significance of the dilemma that we're in. Right. And when they were awarded $45 million of CARES money, that came from the federal government through the state, uh, they decided that we needed to have a direct allocation and they allocated us up to $2 million. Wow. Uh, so that basically is what we're working on now. Uh, we, we used, um, when we got those funds in September, we were able to use part of them from September to the end of the year for certain expenses, payroll, the mortgage, utilities, um, uniforms, supplies, things along those lines. Uh, part of it, we were able to reimburse ourselves for what we had already spent from February to September. Okay. Sure. So, so other than payroll, because we were on payroll protection for most of that, we weren't able to double dip. And then we also came up with about a half million dollars of improvements to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 uh, to our facility so that when this thing does all end, we can hit the ground running. 
so right now we're in that January to June phase where we're using what's left of the CARES money sort of as our reserve. Uh, and, you know, we still have a payroll every week. We still have a mortgage every month. We still have utilities right? Uh, with, with very little other revenue coming in. Isn't it amazing? We get so, so, how do I say this? We're so charged up over the federal election, over the presidency and the Senate races in Georgia and how important all of those are. But when it came down to it, it wasn't the president. It wasn't your senators. It was your local county. It was your local government that right. came through for you guys. And I think that's part of the problem, you know, with with this whole Fairs Act or or whatever that's being called. I know there were a couple of of legislators legislators in D.C. that were kind of backing that, and we all wrote to and and I know Marla and the IFE did a great job, you know, getting everybody uh, the information and and reminding us to write. But I think at the end of the day, it kind of got lost in the shuffle, uh, if you will. I mean. I know there's a lot of important things going on out there and, and there's a lot of a lot of people hurting in this pandemic. I, I get that, you know, uh, but and, and for God's sake, the restaurants here in Pennsylvania have been hit especially hard because they've been shut down more than once. They've had no indoor dining more than once. Uh, the bars have been virtually closed. Um, I know those people are hurting, you yep. know, but but they're being talked about. You know, they're, they're still talking about the restaurants. Nobody's talking about the fair or the expo centers or the convention centers. Uh, and I think when a lot of people think of fairs, you know, they're thinking of a small county fair with a volunteer board that maybe owns 15 or 20 acres and has a pavilion. And I, I hate that their fairs canceled too. I mean, that's the backbone of, of what makes the fair industry or those small county fairs. That's what it really yep. all is. But it's a whole lot easier for them as volunteers and not having a, a an annual budget and having bills and, and all the things we have to miss a year or even miss two years if it comes down to that than it is us because we're depending on that revenue to keep this place afloat. Yep. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, when you were looking back at this year, like a lot of guests that have come on the show, you're holding out hope that you know, when all, all hell starts to break loose that, you know, your fair could still happen because you're, I mean, you were moving dates from the fall into end of July, but eventually you guys get to the point where you have to make a decision. And I was, you know, looking at your website and that was Tuesday, May the 26th. Describe that decision-making process you guys had to go through to come to the decision to cancel. I mean, it was hard, but it was obvious by that time because so many other fairs had already canceled. Um, you know, not only had we moved dates, but we had renamed our fair from the York Fair to the York State Fair. Uh, we aren't state funded, uh, but but when when they decided to change the dates, I started looking at things and going, okay, there's like 63 or 64 fairs across the country that use state fair in their name. And about half of them are state funded in some way or, or governed by the state government. The rest just use the name, right? So I thought, well, we're we're the size of a lot of those fairs. And I mean, in fact, a lot of state fairs that I've been to, the York Fair is bigger than in terms of rides and entertainment and entries and, and all of those things. So we thought, well, why not change the name, change the logo, let's rebrand. This is a perfect time to, uh, you know, inject some breath of fresh air into this event since we're changing dates. Uh, we had a contract with Degler Attractions and, and they were going to move with us. And when it got uh, about a year out of moving, they, they weren't able to work it out. 
uh, it, it just didn't work out. And we had both agreed that, you know, if, if they couldn't move, we would find some, someone else. So uh, we jumped on uh, a plane and went to Hamburg, New York and visited Straits and met with them. And they came here two or three times. And uh, they had been here in 1979, last for uh, the fair and had been here several years prior. And one of the biggest things we hear from, from the public is, why don't you bring the train back? Why don't you bring Straits back? Uh, so it, it all was falling together. You know, we had the best concert lineup we had had in years. Uh, 2019, all six of our shows paid for themselves in ticket sales. Wow. Uh, you don't hear of anybody doing that. Uh, we were on par last year to do the same thing with bigger shows. Uh, we had only advertised on social media. We hadn't even started traditional media. And every show I had was 80% or better paid for. So That's wild. We were going to do it, you know. Uh, so, I mean, we were pumped. We'd been planning this one for two years, really, since we made the decision to move. We'd been planning 2020 alongside 2019 and then all the other things. And, uh, you know, when you start watching and you see you see Houston stopping in the middle of their event and you see all the other fairs start canceling and then there were fairs uh, even later than us that had decided to cancel, it became pretty obvious we were going to have to cancel and uh, it, it was a sad day. It was tough. Um, you know, you put all of that time and effort into it. It's like I was telling some of some of my team today. I, I said, you know, from from those of us in the administrative side, you know, we're planning this thing from November until June. And then we're handing it off to you guys out here and saying, OK, set it all up, get everybody hooked up, make it all happen. That's to my grounds and maintenance team. Right. So the yep. hardest part for them is from June to July. Well, our hard part's done by June, but we had the hard part done. We canceled the fair. It's like the rugs pulled out, you know, and, and there's this big, huge letdown. Um, it's making it hard to plan for 2021 because there's so many unknowns. The target's constantly moving. You know, this week numbers are up. Next week, maybe they're down. Two weeks, they spike. There's new regulations or new, new restrictions in place you know, capacity limits, uh, um, who knows, you know, um, so it's hard to plan it, but we're planning it. Do you feel like, um, your governor is changing, is moving the goalposts? Cause I know here in New Mexico, there's been a lot of complaints and, and talk in the media that it feels like every time our governor says, okay, here's our gating criteria. The two weeks later, that gating criteria changes. And when we do hit the gating criteria, then it changes again. And we, you know, it's like, we can never, we can never catch up. Yeah, I don't I don't know that we've had, quote, gating criteria. I think, you know, I think he's had two or three rounds of restrictions uh, back when it was at its very worst was when it started and everything shut down. I mean, only essential services, banks, pharmacies, groceries, gas stations, those sorts of things were open. All the rest of us were supposed to be closed. Uh, then we went into a uh, with the 67 counties, there was a red, yellow, and green phase that each county had to go into. And the whole state started red, and then some became yellow, and some became yeah. green. Uh, then it went to, okay, we're not going to go back to that ever again, but we're going to do capacity restrictions for large gatherings. You know, so you can't have more than 10% in a building that holds, you know, 2,000 or more mm -hmm. people. Um, you can have 150 or 200 people outside an event, but not inside. Right. Uh, and so I don't think he's moved the goalpost. I just think that we've had a bunch of different restrictions. You know, it's not like it's been back and forth. It's like every time it's just something that something new, 
Okay, so we haven't gone back and forth. We've just always had something different. Sure. Um, my biggest issue with with our state government during all this has been there's an an event center in Carlisle, uh, and uh, they have a lot of car shows, huge car shows. Um, we have car shows as well. We host NSRE Street Rods. They've been here for nearly 50 years. Good guys. Uh, this was going to be their second year with us, and we have some smaller shows. Um, I had a guy that, that comes in here from Maine and does what they call the VAG fair, which is Volkswagens, Audis, and German cars. So they're the small, hmm. you know, small cars. Uh, he wanted to do his show in July. And, and I said, here's the deal. You can have 250 people at an outdoor event and that's it. Well, at the same time, you know, Carlisle had already taken the state to court back in uh, the first part of July or the end of June because they wanted to have their grand national truck show. So they they uh, basically settle with the state department of health and they're allowed to have their show they're allowed to operate at 50 percent capacity indoor outdoor whatever so um, we basically reach out to the department of health and and we're not getting any any information at all you know uh, when we finally do i get my lawyer involved and and our attorney calls and and he finally gets them to talk to us and basically they're allowing Carlisle to operate at 50% because they fall under a flea market. I'm like, well, they're a car show, <laughs> flea market. No, they're a flea market. They're selling car parts and those sorts of things. That's a flea market. I say, okay, fine. Uh, if, 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 if they can operate as a flea market, we can. Well, no, you said you're having a car show. So we go back and forth for about a week. And finally they say, okay, here's the deal. You can operate your car show as long as you have 250 people per area. So, for example, if your guy has four different years or four different models, if he has four distinct areas cordoned off on your grounds, you can have 250 people per area. Doesn't matter if it's doesn't matter if it's 20,000 square feet or 5,000 square feet. You can have 250 people in an area. Wow. So that weekend, I take off and go to Carlisle to see their truck show, and uh, it's it's a car show. You know, they've got two rows of car parts. The rest of it's just like a car show, big, huge car show, you know, bumper to bumper rows, pop-up tents, you know, guys in pop-up swimming pools and, you know, just all the stuff you see at the car shows, right? And uh, our show was on Sunday. And uh, so I came back here and went to our show and our guy did it just like we told him to do it. And uh, nothing ever came of it. I mean, we had the show wasn't a big revenue maker for us, but for us, it was the first thing we had had here since right. March. So it was something. Um, but my comment then was, because the news media came and we did TV interviews, and I said, you know, here's the thing. I just want a level playing field. I just want to know what I can do and, and why they can have an outdoor event, but I can't. I just want a level playing field. Yep. So, you know, it kind of went from there, and, and uh, nobody really – gave us any clear answers so we've just kind of felt like we're out here on our own sometimes sure i know when i spoke to marla on the podcast she talked about the frustration that all these different different jurisdictions have all these different criteria and what her concern and her feeling was is that you know if for example in texas if they can produce a you know, a methodology to produce a safe event. Here's how we're going to keep people clean. Here's how we're going to distance them. Here's the signage we're going to use. All those types of things we need to make sure that we have COVID safe events. If they can do that in Texas uh, at a large facility, why is it then in Colorado that they've got a restriction for anything, any facility over um, like 12,000 square right. feet 
is limited to, I forget what she said, 100 people say. Right. Well, there's a big difference between a, a facility that's 12,000 square feet and a large convention center or one of our facilities that's got 500,000 square feet or a million square feet. Why are we still only limited to 100 people when we right. can demonstrate that we can do these events safely? Universal Studios, I was just talking to um, a friend of mine, apparently yesterday or the day before Universal Studios opened and they met their maximum capacity within like 10 or 12 minutes of opening. If those theme parks can do it, if Disney can open, if that car show can happen, right? why can't we demonstrate, why can't we go to our local health authorities and say, hey, here's the steps we're taking. Right. You know, like, I don't know what, what capital improvements you did, but, you know, let's just say in the bathrooms, you went all touchless. That's everything's, what we did. Everything, yeah. Everything's touchless in the bathrooms now. And we've got more hand sanitizing stations and we've got signage. And we, I mean, this is not new to us. This is right. the fair industry. We've dealt with H1N1. We dealt with, you know, with the swine flu. We've dealt with bird flu. We've dealt with these outbreaks before and needed to adjust. We've done it. How right. come we're then told, nope, you can't open? And and that was one of the things that kind of dovetails into the other part of the story about the car show. Hershey Park, which is 40 miles up the road from me, you know, was allowed to operate. And they got, you know, I said, well, why can Hershey happen and not this car show or not other events here? Well, they have distinct areas. Each each ride queue line is a distinct area. So so they're doing this and they're doing this. And I'm like, look, I'm not a fairgrounds out in the middle of nowhere PA. You know, I'm an event center year round. I'm staffed full time. We have things here every weekend you know, in two, three huge buildings, you know, I'm having, you know, in a normal year, I mean, I've got something in these buildings every single weekend with the exception of holidays and drawing, you know, four or 5,000 people an event, every bit of that, if not much more, you know, volleyball, wrestling, trade shows, Eastern yep. star. I mean, I have all kinds of things going on here. And, and I just, I think part of it was they were going, Oh, well, it's a fairgrounds. It, it's a fairgrounds. It, it's like, you know, small fairground PA. No, we're an event center. We're year round event center. You know, I've got a full-time staff. Hershey's got a full-time staff. They've got people cleaning their restrooms. My people are cleaning my restrooms and they're doing the advanced protocols or, or will do as soon as we're able to, just like you're asking them to do. But, you know, that, that hopefully that's passed. We'll see what happens when, when spring gets here and things gear back up. But yeah, it's, I, I just, I don't, I don't even know it, the decisions that are getting made are along state governments. And, you know, I kind of pay attention on like the igniter message board and whatnot with IEFE right. and get their emails and whatnot. And it just doesn't seem like there's any rhyme or reason to why one state's doing one thing and another state's doing another thing. Yep. Uh, I do a zoom about once a month. There's five of us from fairs here in the East. We all get on together in every month to six weeks and just kind of compare notes and, and, uh, commiserate together I guess is a good way to put it and um, we're all in different states and everybody it's the same thing it's like well we're doing this we're doing this well we're told we can do this so well, we can't do that but we can do this you know and you're right there's there's not yet any consistent standards or protocols that are across the board that I've seen yeah I, I wonder how much of this has been since this all got started in 2020, how much of it was just flat out politicized just because it was such a contentious election. Um, you know, regardless of how it turned out, I'm hopeful that moving forward that president Biden and, um, the new Congress that things will calm down and maybe we will get some consistency because regardless of who's in the white house, we got to start having some events or we're all in big right. trouble. 
You're exactly right. I mean, it, it's like I said earlier, and like I've said the whole time, when everybody's ready, we're not going to be here. If if something doesn't shake out soon and we're allowed to have events or there's not more bailout money out there. And I mean, right. I don't know that left or they can come up with. So uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's day to day, you know, week to week and, um, you know, coming every day. And it's like, maybe today's the day something breaks. Yeah. And, you, and it's just like, you go home at night. Nope. Not today. You keep crossing your fingers that something changes. And, and I know all these cancellations, not only directly on our fair industry have had a big impact, but you know, I look at, at York, it looks like I haven't been through York before, but it looks like it's a fairly small community. You're what about an hour North of Baltimore. And yeah, you're what it, about forty five thousand or so? Uh, York itself is about forty five thousand, but York County is four hundred and fifty thousand. Oh, okay. Uh, we're we're about an hour north of Baltimore. Uh, we're uh, two hours from DC, uh, about two hours from Philly. Uh, Harrisburg is thirty miles up the road. That's the state capital. So you know, it's it's a heavily populated area. Got it. Uh, okay. I, and, I was just and, gonna say, I think you know, sometimes our local communities, and I think you alluded to it earlier. They don't realize just how large an impact our fairgrounds, our facilities have. I mean, like you said, I, I think it was, you know, they think the fair just kind of pops up and it's there and and then it's not. You know, it's right. five days or a week or 10 days over the summer and then the fair has gone. Um, but we have big impact on our communities, even if it's a small county fairgrounds or a large state fair facility with big impacts. What is your local community missing out on? during this pandemic since y'all are closed? I mean, I think right off the bat, uh, the hotels, uh, the restaurants, uh, those those certainly are missing out because, you know, like I said, every weekend, you know, I've got my Weiss Markets Arena, which is 70,000 square feet. I've got Memorial Hall East, which is 35,000 and Memorial Hall West, which is 35,000. Every weekend, those are full with something. Right. Uh, you know, some weekends it's a basketball tournament in one and, and something else in the other. And some weekends it's a volleyball tournament that takes them all. Uh, we're partners with our CVB. So we work really closely with Explore York. Uh, we get 14% uh, of the room tax because we put the heads in the beds on the weekends. I mean, that's just the facts. And I think the CVB will tell you that. Our county commissioners know that. Our hoteliers know that. Um when people are here, I mean, they're in the restaurants, they're buying yep. the gas, they're, they're, you know, doing all the things people do. And, and that doesn't even count the, the extra things. I mean, they, they may go to Gettysburg and, and tour the civil warden museum and, and all sorts of things. So um, that's for sure. What, what right off the bat, what's being missed. Uh, and I think if that goes away and were to go away permanently, it would, it would be devastating to the tourism industry in York County. Yeah. It really would be. And I mean, if you just think from the, you know, for the personal side, from one of your, your residents in your area, whether it's not being able to come to the fair and, you know, we all have those fair memories of a first kiss on the Ferris wheel or a date night or um, all those things for the fair. But beyond that, what about the kids that would have had their prom there or all right. those types of events, all those memories that don't happen? I really hope that when this opens and things start rolling again, that people realize just how critical our fairgrounds are to, you know, the infrastructure of our cities and our communities. Yeah, me too. And, you know, it's, it's like somebody was saying one time to me that, uh, you know, well, the fair is not as big as it was when I was, when I was a kid, 
you know, there's not as much, not as many rides or not as many people come or there's not as many animals. And I said, well, think back about this. Wait a second here. You know, you're, you're 60 years old. You know, everything has changed in 40 some years, Mm -hmm. but to a eight or nine year old kid who's never been to the fair before, it's going to look every bit as big to them as it did you back 40 years ago. So, you know, I think, yeah, we're going to miss out on a lot. A lot of people are going to miss out on a lot. And I think there are people out there who uh, won't realize what they're missing until it's gone. You know, yes. uh, People missed going to the fairs this year. There's no doubt about it. Gosh, I missed it. I mean, I missed being at this fair. It's the first year in 20 some years that I've not, you know, worked at a fair. And and a lot of years I was doing two, you know, at at Kentucky, I would also work Taylor County or at, at, uh, and then there was, uh, so you had Taylor County Fair, Kentucky State Fair. Uh, The year I moved here to York, I did Elkhart in July, York in September. So, you know, a lot of years doing two fairs and it, it was odd this year. You know, it was weird pulling into the parking lot on the day the fair was supposed to open and it's empty. Yep. You know, and then for us, it was weird because this was our first year to move to July from September. So we went through it twice. We went through it during July when we rolled in and nothing's here for 10 days. And then we went through it again in September when we were like, remember a year ago when it was all here? You know, so, so it kind of hit us twice this year. That's rough. It's really it, rough. It it's hard. It's, you know, to not not to compare, but I can tell you, I get it because as an entertainer, all throughout the year, I would hit a weekend and I would go, I was supposed to like, I, we were supposed to be at the end of March, beginning of April, we were supposed to debut in Australia at Sydney Royal wow. Easter. So on what, April 2nd or 3rd, whatever it was, Sarah and I kind of looked at each other and we were like, didn't happen. And then yeah. May 2nd for the next fair in Arizona, didn't happen. And then right. OC fair, didn't happen. <laughs> Right. It, it's just the phone calls that kept coming. I we got one fair in, in in Abilene, Texas. We looked at our whole schedule, and I said to Sarah early on, I said, "If there's one fair that's going to happen for us this year, it'll be Abilene because it's got that West Texas spirit of we don't care. The world can be burning down. We're going to do what we want." Sure. And right. uh, sure enough, we got that one in. But even during that fair, I got a call from Jacksonville. Bill Olson said, "You know, we had to make the decision last night and and cancel for November." So. It's been a, it was very difficult 2020 and I, you know, we started, we started the podcast again. We were going to leave it just at 30 episodes, but then when we saw that, you know, the Florida state fair was going to end up having to move later in the spring and South Florida is making adjustments and all this, it's clear this pandemic's going to keep rolling and we've got to keep adjusting. Um, so hopefully by this coming summer of 21, by the time that rolls around this pandemic uh, is well behind us or, or well on its way to being behind us. But in the meantime, you guys there in New York still have to plan for a 2021 show. How do you and your team go about that while you're still in the middle of a pandemic? Well, it's been tough because, uh, you know, I lost two, two staff members. Actually, we've laid, I think, a total of 18 people off. Uh, two full-time staff members uh, during this whole thing took employment elsewhere. Uh, one was my communications coordinator, who I counted on pretty heavily as far as all the marketing and PR things. So I'm kind of having to deal with uh, do that right now for us. Uh, but but fortunately, uh, we work with Variety Attractions, and we were able to roll over all of our grounds acts from 20 into 21. So that was done, uh, and and we took care of that not too long after last year's fair dates. So I had all that taken care of. Uh, We rolled all of our concerts over on a grandstand stage with the exception of one, and we added three. So, um, and I think people look at me and go, wait a minute, 
you've got a 10 day fair and you're going to come out of a pandemic and you're going to do nine concerts and a demolition derby on the last day. And I'm like, yeah, uh, I, I figure that, you know, I got nothing to lose. We might as well go big or go home. Uh, if, uh, I mean, that's, that's what it's going to come down to, you know, we're going to yep. go big or we're going to go home. Either we get to have this or we don't. And, um, so we're going to announce all of our shows uh, January 29th. Uh, I know uh, our neighbors, Danny Aguilar down at Delaware, they announced their lineup uh, back before Christmas or right around Thanksgiving. Uh, we're going to kind of follow their model and, and do all of our show announcements at one time and uh, try to create a little bit of hype in the wintertime. In the dead of winter here in Pennsylvania, it's, uh, it's cold and gray and a lot of times snowy. And, uh, sure. so, you know, we're going to try to try to create a little bit of excitement and, you uh, give people some hope and you know we'll just keep hoping and praying that that the vaccine gets distributed and once it is it works and yep. uh that that we can move forward come you know spring sure now assuming you guys are able to open um you know i feel like even if the government comes out and and says hey you know what we've got this thing under control it's we're we're safe you can go out to events go back to movie theaters you can do these things my sense is there's been a lot of fear that has been programmed into our communities and that includes our fairgoers are you guys looking closely at your messaging and advertising for 21 and and how you communicate that your event's going to be safe for these folks right uh we are and 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 we've already started that i mean we actually had an event here this past week which was huge for us we host the keystone farm show which is a large farm equipment show uh and it was downsized this year but it just wrapped up yesterday uh, it went from, I think, uh, 10 buildings down to four uh, exhibit halls. And, uh, but, but as part of that, we got some really positive press because part of this COVID money that we spent or the CARES money was on COVID mitigation. So we've installed UVGI in our two largest buildings. So we're re, you know, putting that, uh, drawing the air out, putting in front of the ultraviolet light, the whole, the whole deal, how that works. Uh, we went touchless, as you alluded to, in the restrooms in those two buildings. Uh, we've installed auto doors so that people don't have to touch doors. They can, you know, walk in and out. Uh, we've purchased uh, six of the electrostatic misters, the backpack variety, where the guys can walk around and sanitize chairs and uh, booths and tables and, and whatnot. Uh, we've, we've purchased, uh, we've doubled actually our hand sanitizers. Uh, so, and, and our old hand sanitizers are actually the kind where you got to pump it, you know, underneath right. the thing, kind of an interesting story with that. The new ones are, are not, but, uh, we had a food festival, like a lot of other fairs did. We, we got on that bus a little bit late. Uh, it was actually October before we did one, uh, but it was highly successful, blew everything out of the water that we even predicted. But I'm standing there, we're having to count people as they come in because we can only let 150 people in. And there was an older gentleman that walked up. I was running the counter at the time and, and uh, he put his hand under that hand sanitizer and it was one of the old ones that you got to pump, right? And he goes, oh, this isn't touchless. I said, no, sir, you got to pump that. And I pumped it for him. And he goes, oh, that's totally unacceptable. Totally <laughs> unacceptable. Got to be and I And I looked at him and I said, well, sir, I don't mean to be disrespectful here, but can I ask you a question? He was like, sure. I said, so what are you doing with your hands right now? well, I'm rubbing this sanitizer on my hands. I said, right, <laughs> that kills all the germs, right? And he was like, well, yeah. I said, so if you had touched that, you just killed all the germs, right? So, you know, I mean, there's that. You know, <laughs> you're always going to battle that. But, um, you know, we're, we're big on signage. Uh, we're big on the, the social distancing decals on the floor and directional arrows. We, we've got all that. So uh, we're trying 
we got some real positive publicity on the Harrisburg News this week from a couple of stations that, that kind of got the word out about that. Uh, and we're going to start, you know, pumping that out on our social media and our website as well on the improvements we've made to mitigate the spread. And um, we'll obviously incorporate social distancing and, and all the other things we need to do, um, hopefully, if, if we get to do this thing come July. Well, we'll cross our fingers that it gets to happen. How has this last year, we've, we've spent, you know, about 45 minutes now talking about the impact on, um, of the, the coronavirus on your community and on the fair. How has this pandemic affected you personally? Um, you know, I think the hardest part has been uh, the 18 people that I had to lay off. Uh, when, when you have people that have been a part of a staff here for some of them 20 or 25 years and, and they're dedicated people, you know, uh, most of them have been on the maintenance and, and custodial staff, but nonetheless, they're hardworking people and they love the facility and they love the events. And when you got to look at them and say, I got to lay you off and I don't know if or when I'm going to get to bring you back, you know, that's tough. Um, today, you know, before you and I got on, on this, uh, this Zoom call, um, I had to meet with, we, we brought some people back for two weeks to help with this farm show and basically had to meet with them again today and say, look, everything's canceling for the rest of February and most of March. And, you know, I'm, thank you for coming in. Thanks for helping make this show a success, but I don't really have anything going on here to keep you here for the next couple of months. So that's tough. Uh, obviously there's the stress you go home at night. I mean, especially with this position at this fair with the debt that we're always managing, we're kind of like a dog chasing our tail. You know, you're making a payment, you're making revenue, you're making a payment, the revenue's going in, it's going out, it's going in, it's going out. So uh, we've had the revenue going out, but not coming in. So there's a lot of stress dealing with that. You know, you go home at night and uh, you lay awake and think, okay, how can I make this work? And what can I do? What can I cut? Um, so that's, that's been tough, you know, but I think we're all facing some sort of stress during this. So I wouldn't say my stress is any harder than anybody else's. It's just that my stresses might be a little different than yours are. Sure. Who are two people who have helped you navigate 2020? Oh, gosh. Um, well, uh, definitely my wife, you know, uh, go home at night and she's there and, and weekends. So, uh, you know, that's a big part of it. Uh, uh, She's a sounding board. Uh, uh, she, she doesn't always understand the challenges or, or what's going on in the business, uh, but she's been around me now for 10 years. And so she kind of has a better understanding. Um, and then, you know, I guess uh, uh, our communications director who left, Brianna Holmes, uh, was, was big to uh, help get the messaging out and, and help all this uh, uh, where we are today in terms of getting our messaging out and get everything set up. And then Marsha Hallman, uh, who is our uh, office administrator and uh, Ron uh, Lighty, who's our maintenance supervisor. You know, we, we've been in this office, uh, the four of us, basically all summer and, and, and all fall. Uh, and now basically it's me, Marsha and Ron, and we just hired a new salesperson to come in. So she started with us and uh, it's a breath of fresh air. But definitely I, to say that there's been two, I couldn't, but I can say there's been four or five, you know? Yeah. Have, have you learned anything about yourself dealing with this pandemic? Um, uh, you know, a, a lot. Um, I think I deal with stress better than I thought I could, especially the kind of stress that this is. Um, 
you know, I, I think um, thinking back to uh, uh, dealing with people and building relationships um, that, that I've built some pretty strong relationships uh, throughout the industry and with other friends. I mean, there's always been somebody to talk to, whether I pick up the phone or fire off an email. Uh, so, so I think that I, I've always considered myself a relationship builder. So uh, I think I've learned that, yeah, that's, that's what counts. People are what counts. Uh, you're not going to do anything in life by yourself. Uh, you know, a lot of people seem to think, well, I did it. I made it. Uh, no, there's always somebody back there pushing you along or, or guiding you or giving you some advice. So um, I think the fact that I've got good friends, I've got good family, I've got good coworkers, uh, it, it's given me a whole new appreciation of, of those folks. Do you see any silver linings for the industry that have happened in the middle of all this? Gosh, um, hopefully once this all ends and things get back to normal, you know, maybe it's a rebirth for our industry. Maybe, uh, you know, we've, we've all fought the challenges for, for years of, of how to compete for people's expendable income, right? I mean, kids have PlayStations and, and Xboxes, and we've all talked about that and Generation X. And, you know, we can go on and on about all the things. So maybe after a year or two of not having events like this, we'll see people want to come out and be part of this again. So maybe in some ways it revitalizes who we are and what we do. Um, I know that's always been a challenge for us for the last 15 or 20 years. So um, maybe there's a silver lining there. Um, obviously for all of us, and, and I, I think this is something I was going to say, you were talking about, you know, thinking about stopping the podcast at 30 and now you're going to continue going for a while. And I'm not even sure after the pandemic ends that it's not a good idea to keep it going because we're all going to be making changes and we're all going to be doing things differently. And yep. uh, some fairs may go totally touchless as far as admissions and some may uh, do things differently. So it's always going to be interesting to hear how other people are doing things. Yeah. I, I know the, the viewership or the, you know, the listenership is a little lower now for this season of the podcast than it has been in previously, but I was talking to an entertainer friend of mine and, and he told me, well, the, you know the reason that is, and I said, why? Because, I mean, we're doing well on the numbers, but not as well as I would have hoped. He said, we're, especially on the entertainer side, we're a transient industry. We listen to these podcasts when we're making an eight-hour drive between fairs, and we're not making right. those drives. Right. So well, my sense is when this all reopens, all of a sudden, I'm going to see this massive spike in my listeners, and I'm going to be like, oh, okay, there we go. Well, and I think too, from from some of the some of the fair professionals you've had on from from our side of things, the in, you know the fair management side of things, you know we're all now kicking into planning 2021. I mean, yep. at the end of 20, a lot of us knew, okay, we're not having our fair. You know, from May on, it's like, okay, we're not doing it. Um, now we're all starting to gear towards planning. So sure. uh, time becomes a little less expendable when you're actually, you know working on contracts and trying to get details worked out for your fair. So exactly. And um, we're trying to get um, a number of the Florida, the early Florida 21 fairs, some of their either fair managers or assistant GMs on the show. Of course, I mean, they're right in the thick of it right now. So right. time is sparse, but I think that there's some value to getting that information in a timely fashion when, when they're dealing with it. Cause I think they're going to be the bellwether for the rest of the season. I was really, I was sad to see that, South Florida had to kind of, they're starting a mini fair and that they've had to adjust and Florida state fairs moving back. I, those two fairs were the ones that I were watching, was watching most closely. So 
Yep. You know, as the thing starts rolling, we're going to see who gets in and who doesn't. And I know there are a number of fair managers we've spoken with on the show that have said, you know, they can survive 2020 not having a fair, but if without some sort of cash injection from the government, which I know a lot of them hate it because we're, our industry is very independent. We right. like to take care of ourselves and just do our thing. And, and it's kind of a shot uh, at our pride when we have to say we need some help from the government. But, you know, the fact is there's a number of fairs that if they had to cancel in 20 and they lose 21, if there's not a cash injection from the government, they're done. And that's yep. going to hurt. And, that's going to hurt. And I'm not so sure that we're not one of those, you know, uh, it's just the facts. I mean, yep. the, the, the guys that I talked to today before we came on at the guys, you know, we're, we have enough in reserve right now that if we don't do any rentals, we're good till June. But after June, I don't know what's going to happen at this point. So, yep. you know, and, and you ask maybe what's the hardest part of it. It's not knowing, you know, it's not oh, knowing thank you. what's going to happen after June. Yeah. Um, the unknown has been brutal for the last year. Right. It has. And and you talked about Florida. You know, I've been to, to a lot of those fairs down there, South Florida and Tampa and, and Jacksonville and, and uh, Naples and uh, several of them. Uh, and, and my plan was to actually go down to Tampa in February, you know, yep. because I know a lot of people in the carnival industry. So it's a it's an easy double trip to go to Tampa and then go over to Gibtown and hang out for a day or two and, and do the trade show and and back to the fair before you come home. And And I was really looking forward to going down in February so I could see how they're doing it. You know, I want to see how you're doing your gates and see how you're doing your cleaning and your social distancing and all the things that were going to have to happen. Because for me, it's like I told somebody, I said, you know, it's, it's one thing for us to talk about it, but I really do better when I see it. Yes. I want to see how you do it. And now that's going to be April, I guess. So uh, I'm scrambling, trying to find somewhere to see maybe earlier than that, hopefully, if it works Sure. Out. Yeah, I hope they start getting some fares going. Um, you know, luckily for them, for for West Palm and the State Fair, they both had their fares last year because they were on before March 13th when everything started to fall apart. So, you know, the real question for them, if they do end up doing more than delaying, if they end up ultimately having to cancel, is what happens for them in 2022. But, you know, there's just so much unknown right now. And I think as an industry, we need, we've been holding our collective breath for a year. And I think maybe it's time to let that breath out, just take another deep breath and say, let's just, let's figure out a way through this. I'm confident if we can get through this, that like you alluded to earlier, we're going to see the dawning of a new day for our events because we are social creatures. Um, Aaron Alejandro, who's the head of the Texas FFA foundation was on the show. And um, he was asked a question um, at, on a virtual event, I guess about, you know, do you think people will come back together? Will we want to go back to fairs and, and to the FFA events and whatnot after this is over? And his response was something to the effect of in my entire life, I've never not seen, you know, quails, covey fish school up that this is what animals do. And as people, we do the same thing. We come together. I think when this is all said and done, those of us that make it God hoping it's all of us, we see it. We see an explosion uh, in this industry that we have not seen before. I really think that's going to happen. I hope you're right. I mean, that's that's what I'm trying to bank on at this point. You know, yeah, you I just onto something. So that's what I'm you know. Doing. I look back at I I built this business, um, my my entertainment business in the fair industry in the shadow of the 2008 crisis. Coming out of 2008, I got jumped in in 2009 and. 
you would think that'd be a really bad time for fares. But in fact, it was really good time if you look at the numbers, because what was happening across the country was folks were saying, well, we don't really have the money right now because this financial crisis, we don't have the money to go take a you know $10,000 trip to Disney World, but they could go to the fair you know, both weekends. Yep. And so fares really benefited from that. And in my gut feeling is we're going to see a bump on that the next, once we open for probably 24 to 36 months where people are still trying to recover financially. And I think they'll go to the fair instead of going to SeaWorld or Disney World yep. or a trip to Europe. You know, I made the comment to somebody back when, probably halfway through this back, I don't know, sometime during the summer. And I said, you know, those of us who are able to hang on in this, you know, there's going to be fairs closed. There's going to be carnival shut down. There's going to be food people and entertainers that decide I can't do this anymore. But I said, those of us who hang on one day, we're going to feast. Yep. One day we will feast if we hang on. And, and whether it's what we've alluded to um, or whether it's because there's fewer of us out there, you know, and, and the pie got a whole lot bigger for those of us who stay. I, I hope that's not the case, but that's a fear too, that, you know, there's going to be a lot of us not around. Yeah. But if you look at it from just, if you look at the history of business, that's what happens. You have, right. you know, when you look at in a post nine 11 world where so many air, small airlines went out of business, Southwest airlines went, we can service that city right. and we can do it for cheaper. And they grew their businesses. So, you know, early on I was thinking, it's going to be the small fairgrounds that are the most vulnerable and the smaller acts and entertainers that are going to be the most vulnerable. And as I've done this podcast, I realize it's probably the exact opposite. When you look at at a fairground like yours or Del Mar or Los Angeles County, Del Mar's in so much trouble right now. They're a massive fair. um, But that also with a massive size fair also comes massive levels of bills and and overhead. They've got lights. They've got to keep turned on. They've got facilities they have to pay rent on or or pay their mortgage on, just like you do. Whereas a small volunteer board that's just used in the small county fairgrounds probably has a real shot at coming back. And it's the same on the entertainer side because when I look at you know acts like me or you know Kevin Ridgeway and Christian Johnson with Lady Houdini and and so many of these acts that we just put our stuff in storage. It's paid for. Maybe we've got the overhead of having to pay for a storage locker or what our storage facility for, for a year. But you think about people who have pig races. You think about Jimmy Earhart, who's right. on the show with the sea lion splash and Carla Majewski with Pacific animal productions. Those animals are still hungry. They still need veterinary care. The overhead does not change for them. And so I fear for them really the most, because at some point, you know, does the, does the, that one bill comes that finally finishes them off and, they're fantastic well, acts. They're so vital to this industry. And, and not only that, they're fighting the animal rights stuff too, constantly. So I yep. mean, that they've got that whole other battle that, that they fight that we don't. So it's, yeah, I, I feel for those guys. Yep. I sure do. But I hope that moving forward that this, um, this vaccine kind of gets to work in. Um, I know there's a number of them out there. I don't, I know there's a lot of people going, I don't trust it. This, you know, and, I don't know. Time is going to tell on that. In the meantime, all we can do is keep planning for our events and and yep. hoping we get a window to to have them, even if they're modified in some way that we can generate some revenue. And I think more importantly, and Marla made this point for a lot of you guys as fair managers, it's not even so much the fair, but God, could you get the event rentals the right. open? Can you get your building rentals open so a car show can come in? 
right. and you can generate revenue because so many fairs. I didn't realize. I think she estimated something like eighty or eighty-five percent of uh, fairs in this industry actually make far more money on their non-fair rentals than they do for yep. the fair itself. Yep. You know, and and the other thing we haven't touched on that that I think has been touched on on your show before is. You know, if, if our governor comes out and says you can have your fare, but you can only have it at 60 percent capacity. I don't know where my mark is. You know what I'm saying? I, right. I, I, I wouldn't plan a fare right now today. If the pandemic weren't happening and somebody said, well, you're going to be down 40 percent in attendance. Oh, my God, I can't do it. You're going to lose money on that. Uh, so I, we've got to figure out all of us have to figure out where that mark is. Is it 25 percent? Is it 30 percent? And then. You're going to have to deal with the public backlash. Well, the governor said you could have the fair. Governor said you could have the fair at 60 or 70 percent, and you guys are canceling the fair. Why? You know, so right. there's all that. that yeah, comes and in. that's yeah. There's so much depth in it, and that exact thing. I had one call, one cancellation this year. Um, the fair manager called and explained that the ration, rationale behind it was they were running their models and they were looking at what if it's 50 percent, what if it's 60 percent, and they were looking somewhere between 50 and 60% attendance and they were going to lose something like another three or four, $400,000, $500,000 they were going to lose. Right. That doesn't make any sense. You know, that's when you fold. That's literally why poker players fold. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) You you might as well fold and carry that money over to next year and and give yourself a little bit of a life raft. Right. And, and and my fear is if I lose, well, here, here, like with acts like you, right. Or, or my ground tax, you know, if I'm told I can only have 70%, I got to cut. I mean, I'm going to have to cut cut expenses and, and grounds acts and things that I want to have here to draw people in aren't going to be here. My fear is, okay, people come to the fair and they go, well, it's not as big as it used to be. I'm not going back. Yep. Well, that's how ex- do I get it back to where it was? That's that- exactly what Leanne, or uh, Linnell Smith from – Sydney Royal Easter show said was they're going to be allowed to open in April. This, when I spoke to her in November, I don't know if it's changed, but they're going to be allowed to open in April, maximum 50,000 people a day. Now for a lot of fairs, that would be like, woohoo, we'll do it. But for Sydney Royal Easter, that's about a, just about a 40% cut. And they're looking at it going, okay, even if we can make it profitable, how do we communicate our brand message? How do we not damage the brand? Just like you said, where fair guests come in and go, but you used to have this whole section over here. Well, we had to cut that. You used to have the pig races. Well, we had to cut that. You know, at what point do you damage your brand by exactly. opening? Exactly. So there's a lot of questions still out there, man. Lots of unknown. And I'm hopeful that maybe as people listen to the podcast, that maybe it can answer some questions for them, or at least maybe they hear, you know, some familiar voices and realize we're not all we're not in this by ourselves. We're we're all rallying together and gotta figure out how to how to push through and make this happen. Uh, listen, I'm glad you could be on the show today. We're just about out of time, but before we go, everyone I have on the show, if you've listened to any of the podcast, goes through a little series of speed round questions at the end. These are a little bit lighter fare than what we've been going All through right, so sure. far. So let's see what we can come up with. You ready? Yep. All right. Number one, favorite thing about the fair? Um, the rides. Number two, if money was no issue, what's the first place you'd travel when the pandemic ends? Oh, gosh. Anywhere in the Caribbean. What's your favorite comfort food? Uh, pizza. Hands down. Oh, nice. What's the last book you read? Oh, man. Um, pro- it's been a while. Uh, probably the Hunger Games trilogy. All right. Uh, if you're on an airplane, do you prefer the window seat or the aisle seat? 
I'll take the aisle because I want to be the first one off. Amen, brother. Amen. And when you do travel, name one item that you absolutely must have with you. My phone. Fair enough. Brian, uh, I appreciate you being on the show today. If folks want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Uh, best way to reach me is Brian, B-R-Y-A-N at YorkStateFair.org. Brian Blair, CEO of the York State Fair. I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. Thanks for having the podcast too. It's been been great and been informative. Appreciate it. You bet. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com. 